And if you're one of those folks and love these shows, then you got to love this guy because it was all made possible by the studios here in Jerusalem, JNS Studios, JNS.org. Now, you've heard the CEO, Alex Trayman, on this show a lot since October the 7th, showing tremendous amount of courage. Early on, he would come on with me. You would hear the rockets in the background. It was nuts. So he's been coming on for a long time, born in Canarsie, grew up in um, in Marlboro, New Jersey, went to Yeshiva University, was married, moved to Forest Hills, has a big New York background. His wife, Tippy is an amazing lady. All my tanning sessions, my gym sessions because of her. And he runs this amazing team here in Jerusalem, from Dove Yarden to Ryan Lifshitz to Avia Asner. The entire team includes the editor-in-chief, Jonathan Tobin, one of America's most prominent conservative columnists, senior contributing editor, Caroline Glick. She's been on the show. Melanie Phillips, the publicist for this company, by the way, is Curtis's sister, the great Maria Sliwa. And once again, the Jewish News Syndicate is a reader-supported U.S. 501 C3 nonprofit organization. Check them out. Sign up for the daily newsletter and consider making a donation at GNS. Org. And if anybody, Alex, deserves money, along with one Israel fund, it's you guys. So thank you so much. Thanks so much, Sid. We're, we're glad to have you here. It's amazing meeting you. I mean, I remember that first phone call that Monday morning. I heard you on with Noam early. And I said, Noam, who was that guy? And I had just spent that whole Sunday literally in tears. I said, oh, his name is Alex. He works in, get him on. And you came on that Monday, October the 9th. And again, I heard rocket fire in the background. And you were shaking, man. Your voice was trembling, and of course you were. And you've been coming on religiously since, probably 20 or 25 times. And to see you in person, very handsome, by the way, very handsome. You are a super guy. Thank you so much. Well, I know that the show is called Sit and Friends, and I'm glad to have become a friend. Oh, you're a very, very good friend. I have some friends that are just friends. You're a very good friend. So thank you for all you did before I got here and certainly for all you've done since. How's it been having me and Justin here before? It's been a ton of fun. And and congratulations to you. I mean, I think it was very brave of you to come out here. You said on the show, we were on the show together, you said, i got to take the show out to Jerusalem. And you did it, you know, and I think that's been been so important, not just for you personally, and I know that uh, this trip has touched you personally on a deep soul level, but uh, I think that that's being communicated to all of your listeners uh, in New York and beyond, and I I think that you've done a tremendous, tremendous thing by being Uh, here, so thank you. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. And you're a New York guy. I just read your history from Canarsie to uh, New Jersey to Washington Heights to Forest Hills. How long have you lived now here in Israel? Uh, 19 years. 19 years. And I said earlier in this program, all the people that Lady Eve was on earlier, she's from Los Angeles. I had a woman in here a couple of days ago from Chicago. All these people that did live in the United States, and by the way, still say nice things, not about Biden, they love Trump, about the United States. Not one has said to me, man, I miss it. Everyone says, I wouldn't leave this place if they blew it up. I'm not leaving Israel. Something tells me you feel the same way. Oh, absolutely. I think that we're doing something for our people. You know, uh, you know, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. Oh, they were. And, uh, you know, that they were liberated from death camps. And the idea that today a Jewish person can fight for their land, like if, if my grandparents and their great-grandparents could see me now raising my children here in the holy city of Jerusalem, I mean, what a dream uh, for generation after generation of Jews to be able to do that. And, and I'm so, so pleased and proud to be able to, to, to raise my kids here. Well said. Five beautiful kids. But you have a New York history. So when you put me on, which you do occasionally from Israel, and you hear me talking about a rally in Bay Ridge, you know Bay Ridge, you're a Canarsie boy, 5,000 strong, 
or when I try to go to the airport last Saturday after Shabbos and I'm getting warnings, Sid, go early because they're blocking the entrance to Kennedy Airport. They're standing on the Bell Parkway. Aren't you disheartened? Well, you know, I was going around college campuses in the early 2000s when this whole phenomenon of Israel Apartheid Week uh, started. And you know, what they call it? Israel Apartheid Week. This was going on on college campuses. They would put up these uh, fake barriers that Israel put up in order to stop suicide bombers uh, during the intifadas, and they were putting these fake walls up and doing these uh, staged die-ins on the college campuses. And this is where it all got started. And quite frankly, I mean, it was it was visceral for me. I understood that, uh, you know, this if it wasn't stopped and, and I watched how and unfortunately the Jewish community didn't stop it. You know, they they said, don't don't give it too much attention. Just don't, it's going to go away. It's not going to get worse. And I, I just watched it get worse and worse and worse. So I'm really not shocked at what's going on right now. And, and I think that the Jews that are shocked, I mean, they they, they should have woken up a long time ago. Somebody said to me not that long ago that the Jewish people are partly to blame. Um, and it feels uncomfortable saying that, you know, but they're partly to blame because of some of the people they vote in outside this country because of how sometimes even in this country they seem to get somewhat, uh, what's the right word for this, um, they think it's okay, you know, um, and they're partly to blame for some of this. I don't believe that's true. I imagine you don't either, right? Well, you don't want to blame the victim on the one hand, right? right? You right. Know, that, I mean, that's that's ridiculous, and we've gotten used to being blamed as the victim. I mean, Jews and is, Israel have complacent is what I was looking for. Yeah, but I mean, you do have to ask yourself the question: if if a candidate that's running for office, and it doesn't matter what that party is, okay, if they're saying that their primary foreign policy priority is to fund the enemies of the Jewish people, you have to ask yourself: Can I, as a Jew, vote for this person? Yeah, they do all the time. Right. I mean, Joe, Joe Biden gets got a ton of the Jewish vote all the time. Democrats all over our country. And, of course, even here, you had the, the liberal group actually take over a couple of years ago. Now they're working, I guess, hand-in-hand hand with Bibi. I'm very confused by your whole government here, but you've got a very liberal group in charge. No, we actually have a strong right-wing government that won in the last elections. But when the war started, uh, Netanyahu understood that when we go to war, we go as a as a united nation. It doesn't matter if we're, you know, it's Wait, right Didn't Bibi lose to liberals oh, not that long ago? Am I crazy? Well, yes, he lost. But, you know, we had here five elections in four years' time. Okay, <laughs> It was a very complicated situation. I don't think we have enough time to get into it. Right. But, but uh, they got him out for a very brief period they turned the country over to naftali bennett he became the prime minister even though 95 percent of the country voted for somebody else uh and he sat with everybody from the left every single left-wing member of the knesset even an arab party that had never sat in a government came in in order to get netanyahu out of course that government didn't last it, it lasted right, barely right. a year yeah. and then netanyahu won a stunning election just a year ago and he put a, a completely right-wing government in but once the war started he said you know we better in order to get international support and to get domestic support we need to bring sure. some of our challengers uh, our opposition into the government so he brought his primary challenger benny gantz uh into the government so yeah there's a few uh left-wingers sitting together but it, it's a right-wing government here and the people of israel are are very strongly right-wing and they're only going to get more right-wing after well, October you say 7th. that yet there were public um protests here like we've got in new york for the from the pro-palestinians uh, anti Netanyahu, all these the parents of all these hostages, and I understand why they want their kids out, but they're furious with Netanyahu. They 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 gather every week in Tel Aviv. They call it Hostage Square. So, 
and, and everybody keeps telling me the same thing, anecdotal, that Netanyahu, once this war is over, he's done, he's out of here. You don't believe that's true? Well, a lot of these protesters were in the streets before the war, right? So when Net, during the election cycle, it was just anti-Netanyahu protests or, or Democratia, which means democracy protests here in Israel. And then once Netanyahu came back into power, he rolled out a judicial reforms package because the Supreme Court in Israel is a far left uh, and aggressive activist court that has been per- that's been preventing a right-wing agenda uh, in this country for a long time against the will of most of the citizens. And so he wanted to reform that court. And so then these anti-Netanyahu protesters, they latched on to this judicial reform, and then it became anti-judicial reform protests. And now, uh, unfortunately, that same movement has been hijacking this issue of hostages, and, and they're rallying under the premise of, what's called bring them home you've probably seen a lot of these posters bring them home yeah but when you write bring them home what that means is that you're putting the responsibility of the hostages the fate of the hostages on the israeli government it the the slogan should be release the hostages right it should be on the the bad guys hamas is the one that took the hostages and you know what there's there's another group of hostages as we speak are protesting the the movement of humanitarian aid uh, that's being poured into Gaza, saying, how can you give them humanitarian aid while there's still hostages uh, inside Israel? But there's not that same anti-Netanyahu money that's being put into into covering those protests. So you're yeah. not really hearing yeah. about that as much. So unfortunately, uh, some of the, the hostage uh, movement is, is actually been co-opted by the anti-Netanyahu movement to begin with. It is really unbelievable how much... Netanyahu mirrors Trump. I mean, of course, and they were great friends, great friends. Uh, Obama and Netanyahu, not friends. Trump comes in, great friends. Netanyahu, Biden, let's be honest, not friends, okay? Uh, Netanyahu's smart. He, he's, he, he has to be nice to Biden. They need the American government here. They need our money. They need our weapons. They need our support, all that nonsense. But Netanyahu knows better. He didn't like the guy before him. He liked the guy after him. But he's so much like Trump. Right, Alex? It's well, it's almost a mirror no, image. It, it's not really like that. No, I mean, it's not. Because uh, Netanyahu, uh, he, he's really a, a statesman. He's a diplomat. He's been the prime minister of this country for 16 years. He transformed a developing nation. Yeah. Into, well, you hate Trump then. Uh, well, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, 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 Trump, I told you on the show, I think yeah. that Trump has been by far, you know, the the best president that Israel ever had. And yeah. for people that don't like Trump and for all those personality reasons, and I totally get that, I tell people, I say, look, even if you don't like the guy and you think everything's wrong, is that even a broken clock could be right twice a day. And when it came to the Middle East, when it came to pulling out of the Iran deal, when it came to defunding the Palestinian Authority, when it came to declaring that Jerusalem is only the capital of the Jewish state of Israel, when it came to recognizing Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights and saying that the settlements, the so-called settlements, which are just suburban Jewish towns, that you saw the other day that these cannot be the obstacle to peace and they're not necessarily illegal under international law. Like everything that he did was right. And you know what? Those were the quietest years that I've ever lived in Israel was when Trump was the president wow. here. So he may, um, he may not be as stately as Netanyahu, but uh, at least well, you guys. But he also understood job. who, you yeah. know, who was a friend of Israel and who's yeah. not. And yeah. when you have, you know, this, we, we had this concept here in Israel that called land for peace. Okay. That, and we went down this path, and we were ready in this country, despite many protests and a lot of people telling and screaming that it was a bad idea, that we would be willing to cede land if we would get from the Palestinians peace in return. 
And, and what people were arguing was that, no, if you give these guys a state, what you're going to get is terror. And then Israel pulled out of the Gaza Strip in 2005. There used that was to be, Sharon, right? Yeah, Sharon. There used to be 8,000 Jewish citizens living inside Gaza, and, and the Israeli military was present there. In 2005, they took everybody out. And this was the the pilot project for the independent Palestinian entity. And you had people screaming from the rafters saying, if you do this, you're going to get a terrorist statelet over there. And what happened? They were right. They were 100% right. That's why and, people like Shani Hyken are doing the right thing, trying to get that land back for us. All their fears were validated yes. on October 7th. And yes. now what's happening, you hear you know, reports in, in Axios that, that, uh, that Anthony Blinken uh, and the State Department and uh, David Cameron in the U.K. are saying that they're looking at ways to recognize an independent Palestinian state. Two-state solution. At, yeah. Right after, I mean, we're still picking up the, the pieces dead of, bodies. of dead bodies. And there are still hostages, and, girls being raped. And, and so basically what what's happening is that the United States and the U.K. have been lying to Israel the whole time. And they're saying that it was never about land for peace. Never. It was just about you creating a Palestinian state. So if land for peace fails, then what's going to happen is going to be war for land. Yeah. And if they declare war, then that shows how much more so that they deserve to get land. Well, let's wrap up this great conversation with a war question. That is, it seems like everybody here, every conversation I have, is preparing for the war in the north. And as bad and as ugly, and it's still going on, picking up body parts, rapes, all that in the south, people describe that as the pregame show. That the north of Hezbollah in Lebanon, that's going to be real bad. And could really affect the whole country, even you guys here, electrical grids, food, jobs, everything. Is that what you're preparing for? I think that uh, everybody in Israel understands that this war was going to come and that it's on and it's on now. So what's coming? And it's it's going to happen because, you know, we've evacuated tens of thousands of Jews from their homes all along the Lebanese border uh, from October 7th. Where do they go? Here to they, Jerusalem? They're in the hotels where you're No, staying. I know. I, I, you don't yeah, laugh. They're all they're... over the country. Yes. In, in Jerusalem, in the Dead Sea, in Tel Aviv. They're, they're everywhere. And... We can't return him to their homes as long as Hezbollah is threatening to attack. And if if you think Hamas is a dangerous terror organization, which they are, Hezbollah is ten times the size. And uh, they have hundreds of thousands of rockets pointed at this country, many of them precision-guided, many of them long-range. They could deliver much more serious payloads. They have a much bigger army. And we cannot go to sleep at night until that's taken out. Uh, and you see we're being attacked by Hamas. We're being attacked by Hezbollah. There, there's cross-border attacks going on every day since this war started. Every day. We're being attacked by the Houthis. All of these are Iranian proxies. They're being funded by Iran. This is a war that's taking place in real time between Israel, Iran, and all of its proxies. And unfortunately, I don't think that the United States appreciates the situation that we're in right How now. How could they? They help fund Iran. The country you're talking about, responsible for all this stuff, has gotten not just money, $6 billion not that long ago, but they've loosened every restriction, every sanction, and they've allowed Iran to make billions of dollars from the Chinese with oil, we basically, the Americans, funded this war. Right. And now, instead of seeing this as an existential issue like the way Israelis see it, they see this as an election issue. They say, oh, how can we go into an election if Israel continues to fight against Hamas and if Israel's going to fight against Hezbollah? It's just going to make us look bad. Okay. So now they're blaming us for their own, Jeez. their own foreign policy problems and their own election problems uh, instead of 
either taking care of the situation, which they should take care of the situation, but at least just let us take care of the situation and stop pressuring us. And you know why they're pressuring Israel? Because Israel's the only party that listens to them. Like, Iran doesn't care what they're saying. Hamas and Hezbollah, they don't care what they're saying. Israel's the only one that cares what the Americans say, and that's why they're putting all the pressure on Israel. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Alex, you are an unbelievable guy. Seriously, you're brilliant, you're smart, you're loyal. Uh, you run a great operation here. We will never be able to thank you enough for what you've done. And we actually are already talking about coming back and using your studios again because it's been not just informative and we've learned a heck of a lot, but it's been fun. And I can't wait to have Shabbos dinner with you and Sippy and your five children coming up tomorrow night. So thank you for everything. It's a great appearance here today. You've been great for the better part of five months. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless it. God bless you too. That is Alex Trayman. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.